it is no secret that AI has revolutionized the way that we do business, from automating mundane tasks to creating personalized experiences. But as the AI revolution marches on, there's a growing misconception that human connection no longer will matter. And it's not, you know, it's not strange. Every time we go through these like transitions, like social media, Google AdWords, all this stuff, it's always we forget about human connections, but it's never been more crucial, right? So that's why I brought on Brian Kramer, who is the father of the H to H movement, the guy that wrote the book on why it's not B2B or B2C, it's H to H, because he's going to talk about uh, this age of AI and how connection matters more. And at the crux of all of this is the idea that trust is the thing that we need to guide, right? Like I was just having this conversation with Greg Cohen from JWB on the way home from a, a presentation we made last night. And it's really this like trust and authenticity is the currency of marketing these days. So we have this conversation with Brian about why trust is the new oil in the age of AI generated content, how to, you know, the framework around how you build trust and and a framework around H to H. It's a really good one, man. Like Brian is this world renowned speaker and pretty famous person. So uh, amazing, amazing conversation. More, More than anything, he's super genuine and really, really knowledgeable on this stuff. So this was really a joy. And this was done as a live internet talk show, right? This thing that I evangelize that you've been invited to come to. And good news, bad news, right? The bad news is we're taking a little break on doing the internet talk show here on the B2B Community Builder Show because I'm launching another one. I'm launching this community about category design called Category Thinkers, where we're going to have a couple internet talk shows twice a month and have this ongoing community with it. We have some of the foremost experts in category design as part of the ambassador program. And it's really going to be a really good place to just sharpen that category design muscle, right? I talk about it all the time on the show. If you've listened before, you know that I think it's a superpower, category design. And and really this idea of category thinking is the muscle memory behind it. So if you are interested in that, if you're interested in more live shows like this, go to Category Thinking, join the wait list, become a part of that. It's going to really, really help your career and your life. But for right now, enjoy this conversation with Brian Kramer, the father of the H2H movement. If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you 
if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy, this show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and Chief Executive Connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Welcome, everybody, to the B2B Community Builder Show. I'm your host and Chief Executive Connector, Pablo Gonzalez, and I'm super pumped for our guest today, who is the father of the H2H human-to-human movement, very successful marketing agency entrepreneur, had an incredible insight that went kind of viral for him, has had TED Talks, world-renowned author. And right now he is, I feel like he is evolving into you know this new evolution of where the world is headed and has a really, really important message about trust and where it's going. World-renowned speaker, marketing strategist, soon-to-be European resident, Brian Kramer. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me here. I, and I appreciate the warm welcome. Yeah, man. I, it's kind of my thing to do like a like a hype man intro. With that being said, community show, we want you contributing in the chat. We want you popping into the Q&A, be a part of the conversation. In an hour, we go into the relationship-driven growth open mic sesh where we'll bring everybody up on stage and we'll have an open conversation. But for right now, I want to welcome my friend Kim, who is also pioneering a a solution in the world of trust, building trust. We got Pratiti, my friend Pratiti, who's here. She is a, a coach, a realtor, doing some really interesting things for with women events. And we got Laura and Nancy in the house. Good to have you both here. Let's get right into it, Brian. As I did a whole bunch of research on you, and of course, the H2H thing is one of these things that's like become synonymous with anybody that is smart about business. I haven't found a lot on these new findings that you have around trust and where it's all going. Can you tell me what your big aha moment was of really keying into the need for trust in today's world? Yeah, absolutely. The biggest thing around trust right now is that there's so much distrust. So that's what keep me into it. There is, it's never been as low as it is right now in our time, in our his, in our lives currently living. And, and I think that it's going to get, it'll get worse before it gets better, but it will get better. And I think that we go through periods of time where we, where we have to create more connection with others. We just lost a huge amount of trust just in the pandemic and a lot of PTSD and a lot of other things that we lost with that too. We've lost trust in our governmental affairs. We've lost trust in brands that promise and don't deliver. We've lost trust in even just within companies, employees working for companies. Obviously, over the last year, this, you know, huge amounts of layoffs or people looking or the mass amount of people that that left companies the year before that because they were taking charge of their lives. and And so there was a huge exit that way. We've gone through a period of change over the last two to three years, it's unlike anything else that we've ever seen. We think about that. You think about what was lost during all that. Also what was gained. We had a lot to be gained. We had a lot. I think that when we went through the pandemic, every 
Buddhist monk looked at each other and said, well, where have you been? We've been, this is exactly where, where we've been, you know, we all get to be present in our lives. So there's that. Yes, there was a lot of bad stuff that happened, but a lot of people also started to, over time, understand that they had more agency over themselves, more agency over their time, more agency over their families and what they wanted to spend. So I think in that, they started to look at things that they trusted and didn't trust, and that started to create a wave. So there's a lot that goes into what's now created the wave of distrust. And I mean, if you look at the barometer report, the trust barometer by Edelman, you know, they measured it and they showed that brands are at the lowest level of trust that have ever been as, as well. I'm working with them to, to create this next book that I'm working on. So, you know, that's a huge indicator of where everybody's at and what got me interested in it. That makes a lot of sense, man. This idea of kind of like looking around and the pandemic was this like giant eye-opening thing where we kind of all collectively realized, wait a minute, this social contract that I thought we were operating under isn't really serving anybody, right? Like, and therefore we all start asking questions. I wonder as you start, as you started formulating this book and you've realized that all these things are happening, what to you, how do you describe the ramifications or like the symptoms of a world that lacks trust? What are the signals that you see that that tell you that the root diagnosis here is a lack of trust? Well, just all the pivotal points, the things that, that the tips of the tidal waves, if you will, you know, the amount of people that got let go, the way they got let go of companies, you know, when you look at, gosh, Twitter and, you know, they got let go over, over a tweet, not over it, you know, or you look at companies that were let go in one Zoom call one big zoom call that said you're all gone you're, today's your last day from from another ceo or, or you look i mean you how many apology emails did we see over the way things were handled over the last year or for how they started to realize that their actions were not met in the best way possible and it hurt their brand just that as one leading indicator is is enough but if you want to pile on more you know, look at the, I'm not going to go into government, but if you just look at that as a whole and just where everybody is politically, I don't think that that's the most unified that we've ever been. I think we'd all agree to that and just leave it there. If that's not enough, then then you look at what's going on, you know, across the board with, with us as a consumer uh, of brands and whether we will trust from a customer service standpoint or from a brand, what, you know, what, who we're going to buy from. We have never been more fickle and, and less dedicated to a brand than we've ever been before. Because there, A, there's so many choices now, and that makes it hard for the brands to stand up and say, we are your only choice. So that take it or leave it. That's not the case anymore. There's a lot of, we have a lot of choices. And so that makes us more fickle as a customer that, that leads to less trust and you're going to have to earn more of it if you want us to stay. So it's everything, man. It's everything. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, man. It's like the value prop of everything has shifted dramatically. And when I look at, as I was doing my research on your background and your career, you know, I, I, it doesn't fall it doesn't miss on me this idea that you started your marketing agency in 2002, which is like 
right at the advent of like social media, right? I think of 2002 when I first figured out MySpace existed. And I have to assume that however we have positioned the value prop to the consumer throughout industrialization to now, I can't imagine a faster rate of change than what it's been over the last 20 years of how you move product, how you reach the consumer, how you communicate. And I think of this like almost industrialization of communication, right? Like we've gone from the door-to-door salesman to the megaphone that reaches the entire world all at once in, in a very, very short amount of time, which I think you encapsulate very well in the in the H2H movement, right? Like, and I kind of want to, I just want to skip on the surface of that real quick, of the idea that you came up with this framework of simplicity, empathy, imperfection as things that make you more human. Can you tell me about the kind of like what the evolution is of that messaging from H to H to really digging in, into actual trust as the number one thing? Yeah, no problem. So let's start with the pillars that you were talking about, and then we'll move into that because it really plays a role. So when you think about those three, you think about what makes a brand, especially now with AI, and we know we'll, I know we'll talk about that, but with, with the advent of technology and technology even in 2002, 2010, 2020, as we escalate, it just becomes more and more pro- probable that we're going to try and distance ourselves from engaging with another human being as a business because it becomes easier to automate and it becomes easier to put technology in place so that we don't have those kinds of discussions that we used to have. Where one day, not too long ago, somebody used to come up to my door and try to sell me a vacuum cleaner or Girl Scout cookies. And now everything is online. It's on Instacart, it's on DoorDash, or it's on Costco.com. Everything's a com. And so, you know, we we look at all of that and and try to automate. That's what we accidentally or forcefully do, whichever side you sit on. And I think that it's important that we take note of that, that in our automating, in our in the spaces where we try to create distance, we're actually putting distance into relationships. And that's what is losing trust because people trust people. They don't trust brands. People trust when you think about a brand, you don't think about the brand, you think about who's behind the brand. Like with Apple, you might think Tim Cook. And so you you assign or align your thinking of that brand with who's running the company. The same thing goes for other brands that are more innovative. And so when you when you look at now these three pillars, simplicity, let's start with that. What brand do you believe is more simplistic than any other brand? I mean, I, I kind of went through the gamut of like thinking about this because I knew you were going to hit me with it. And for me, all three... I'll say, I'm going to say the same answer for all three, but I think Nike, right? Like I think Nike is like one of the greatest brands of all time. Just do it. You know, like we stand for athletes, like get going. To me, it's it's very simple to think of Nike as a very simple brand, simple message, simple branding that I really echo with. And I think is really cool. Great. Yeah, absolutely. And Apple is actually another good one because you think about their brand, you know, what do they offer? How simple is it to buy it? And what? how simple is it to get customer service. They make it easy on all levels, whether you're an Apple person or not. And so then you look at empathy, who embraces empathy, who actually creates empathy for their customer or for their brand. Again, I think of Nike when the Colin Kaepernick thing happened, right? Like it was like, we know who our our market is. We don't mind 
driving this like line in the sand because we know that a a big genre of our population is hurting and we're going to stand behind this thing. Like I thought, I thought it was really clear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. That's a good example. That's a really good example. I hadn't, I hadn't heard that one before. Yeah. You know, another one might be Amazon. I know this doesn't sound like empathy, but when you think about it, it is because we can all return. Uh, almost everyone, everyone has had a good experience. There's always an anomaly, but almost everyone, which is pretty good odds for a giant company like Amazon to not have a challenge returning their product. It's almost like the old days in Nordstrom when you hear about like somebody returned a tire and Nordstrom said, okay, we'll take it. Like that's how much they will bend Anita to say, well, you know, take anything that you want. And that's an empathetic action for their customer. We're not going to argue with you. We're going to make it easy. And because we know you'll come back again and buy from us. Who is... Brian, if I can, if I can pop in here, because I think these two have something that are very simple to me, not simple, but like that have a common thread here, which is making it easy on me, right? Like I think simplicity, allowing for the brain to like understand it easily, empathy, allowing for an experience, you know, like thinking of me first. I think that's very clear in both of those, right? And that like in the Apple example, in the Amazon example, I hadn't thought of both of those in the sense of like, man, reduce friction, right? Like oh, reduce yeah. friction from a personal level. I always think, you know, how can I make it easy for you to deal with me is always a winning formula. And I feel like that is a very human thing, right? Like mm-hmm. if you make it easy for me, I'm more likely to to do business with you and and those two parts really stand out to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Reduce the friction, Re- reduce the friction, increase the, increase the loyalty. hundred percent. Absolutely. 100%. And you know, credit cards are notorious for trying to re- reduce friction. And I love that, that because. Right. Them, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then what yeah. does Apple come and do? They made their phone credit card friendly so that you could reduce the friction with the wallet and now now Google and everybody else. So, you know, friction, reducing friction and looking at a friction list. I love, you know, what are the frictions and let's list them all and then let's reduce it. That's a great activity that I think every company should go through. Um, And then the last one is imperfection. Who embraces imperfection? That, that one's a little bit harder, right? I think in the first thing that comes to mind is VW kind of like saying, hey, we made this big mess up with the diesel thing. So now let us make it right. And let us try to be the greenest vehicle company of all time is kind of the first one that comes to mind there. That's a great, great answer. Yeah. Again, another one I haven't heard. You're doing really well. You're scoring. I, I usually hear typical, some t- more typical answers. So this is great. And I'd love to hear from all of you who are listening, what you think of these, like who, what brands are you seeing in each of these categories, especially in imperfection, simplicity and empathy. In the imperfection side, you might look at like maybe a company like Dove who embraces the imperfection of skin. You know, in all of their advertising and messaging, we embrace all of humanity, but not just humanity. Look at what we're, our products are going to do, not just for the environment, but also for different skin color. You know, and then you look at uh, brands that aren't, that are not embracing imperfection. And when they mess up and they don't acknowledge it, then we, again, become a non-loyal customer. And now we're often running to the races. We're fickle when we see that happen. So in all three, I think you were saying Nike, you see Nike. Well, no, I don't know. I couldn't think of imperfection in Nike, but to your point, 
I feel like Southwest, who is this brand that had mm. done the first two things so well, yeah, had a giant opportunity to embrace Boom. it. Boom. Didn't they? Do it and it's cost them dearly. Totally. Yeah. Can you imagine if they struck the all three where they, and they, they may still correct it. So they've done a good job with now, but were they a little too late at bat? We, time will tell. I don't know. I know that, that, you know, I know who is not all three and hopefully I, you know, sometimes I, I tend to need to keep my, my opinions to myself, but I'm going to say it straight out is Facebook. Facebook is not simple. They are, they don't appear to be empathetic uh, for the customer. And, and I also would say that when imperfection happens, like, I don't know, spending on two, two plus billion dollars on VR and then just switching and saying, now we're all about AI, but not owning the loss or owning that to the 8,000 people that you just let go and saying it was, it's that kind of stuff doesn't really want you to embrace the brand. And, you know, and so that's where the opportunity is in trust. And that's why I say that that's, and I know you asked me this and I'm long, long answer, but, but when you look at all out of these three things, what, when you, what you get by not having those three is distrust. Hmm. And so that it is the fourth ingredient to embracing simplicity, empathy, and imperfection. And then you have trust. So that is where, where I'm excited because it, there is a way to create it and there's a way to get it back. And that's, that is through transparency, being transparent about what you, what you have done, what you're doing, where your errors are. And then finally, within transparency, trans, transparency, said that 10 times, is vulnerability. Vulnerability as humans, vulnerability as a company, a vulnerability in truth and telling the truth, whether you want to or not. Oh, Patagonia is a great one especially with, I saw that pop up. Sorry. Lori's, yeah. Lori, Lori's going to come up with more stuff throughout the show. So I've already, I'll get used to it. Oh yeah. Patagonia <laughs> has just killed it when it comes to that. But anyway, that's where trust comes in. I know you asked me that at the very beginning as a question, but that's, that's how that comes into play. I, I love it, man. I, I appreciate the back and forth. And I think Lori brought up even before Patagonia, a good point of, you know, this, she's bringing up Twitter and I would kick it back to even say the juxtaposition between our view of Mark Zuckerberg or Mark Zuckerberg post data scandal and all that stuff, you know, like we had lost trust in him and yet we still held Elon up as a hero. And now as, as Elon has come in and, you know, gone beyond this thing, like his, what he did at Tesla, which was very transparent, you know, very much empathy, like very much like for their clients and built in public opening up, imperfections, he's doing the opposite in Twitter, right? Like he's kind of just like not being very clear of like where it's going, not, you know, kind of doing these like very non-empathetic moves with each other. And it feels like it's cost him dearly, right? Like he, he went from like being everybody's favorite, like super genius to now people thinking he's a super villain and it, it happens real quick. It does. It does. It's the Will, Will Smith effect. I think that that you can you can gain it and you can lose it. You can lose it quicker quicker than than you can gain it. It takes a while to gain. It takes a split second to lose it. That's the Will Smith effect. I just I just made that up. But I love I, it. I, love it. <laughs> I, I think you know because it, you know you're right. He did grow this and do this much differently than than he did with Tesla. Now the difference is that 
that I think that Twitter is a different animal than he's trying to take on a, something that has never, well, you might say the, the cars have never been done before either, but this is very public and it's a very public platform. And for him to take it that in that direction, the billionaire old guy who owns Geico and yes, he, he came out saying that he thinks the guy's brilliant, but he'd never, he'd never take on Twitter to do what he's done. So is he somebody that we're rooting for, or is he somebody that we're, we're going, no way, this is never going to work. I think everybody's split decision, or at least a lot of people are split decision going, I don't know. I don't really, and to be honest, I don't know like what, where he's going to go, but I do know that he, that a lot of it lost my trust on what I thought, you know, Twitter was all about. He is now the decision maker, at least appears to be on tweets. He doesn't want to keep up and tweets. He does want to keep up. There's not a lot of trust in the medium and the information that's on there. And so playing God does not bear well to equaling trust. Yeah, man. I can tell you that as a household, we are rabid environmentalists. And up until very recently, I was all in on him. And now it's a conversation with my wife and I, right? <laughs> it's a little bit more complicated, man. But I don't want to, this isn't the Elon show. I want to get into, <laughs> in, into these like five shifts of trust that you talk about, right? You talked about transparency and vulnerability. Are, the, are those two of them or kind of talk me through your, talk me through your five shifts of trust framework? Well, transparency is one of them. Then the other one is credibility. Credibility is how much we how much we have built in goodwill around our, both ourselves and others. And when you know, I think Bezos said it best: "Your brand is what people say when you're not in the room." Uh, that's your credibility. And so, if you've built goodwill with others, and they're saying what you hope they would say versus what you hope they don't say, that that's your credibility. And that's when people are going to start to trust you. In order to have credibility, you have to have reliability. You have to be a reliable person. That means that consistency within reliability, consistently reliable. You're going to do what you say you're going to do. And when you don't, when you fall short, you're going to own it. And that's part of the imperfection. The next one is intimacy. And this is a part of the vulnerability part. Intimacy, I like to call it into me, you see. This is where you're allowing others to see inward and see more than you normally would. You see this a lot with startups where they growth hack by showing people the insides of the growth that they're going through. Uh, like here are our numbers. Some people will actually post their balance sheet. Some people will post their month over month results. I've seen some people share what the challenges were that last month and what we're correcting to move forward in the next month and almost making everybody, almost treating everybody like a, like an owner of the company and so on and so on. And then the last one is self. This is trusting in yourself. So, I, and this is maybe the most important one. And it's where I see most people fall down, where we don't trust ourselves, but we trust other things. And it, I believe it all starts with self. You have to trust yourself first before you can trust others. That's the most important piece to this whole thing. Trust starts with you. It starts inside and it moves to the outside. And a lot of times we don't trust ourselves. Like for instance, get up and speak. What if I mess up? What if I get on this podcast and I say the wrong thing about Elon Musk and somebody doesn't like me for it? 
What if I, you know, start this company and I don't make the money that I think I'm going to make because I say the wrong thing and I'm not a leader and I can't do that. Trust in self is where it starts to know that you can do this. You got this. You are enough. And everything that else in credibility will be built around that self-trust. Your reliability of showing up every time will will create more trust. And you have to trust yourself with that. And showing people inside, being more vulnerable around where you're coming from is going to build that trust. So when you add those four things together, you will not fail, I promise. Man, you were you're speaking straight to me here. Because I, if I'll start since self and trust, trusting yourself is the most important one. Let's start there. I, I very recently, 2022 was like the year that I figured out that many of my shortcomings come from a odd relationship with self-worth, right? And those things, to me, the outward signs of it, the thing that I was trying to cure from myself that led me to understand the self-worth thing was how do I become more consistent, (laughs) right? Like how do I show up more often and not drop the ball, right? Like I had, I essentially was trying to fix for what I titled as like work ethic issues that I had. And what ended up, what I ended up discovering was this idea that it's like, I need to trust in myself instead of thinking that somebody's going to do stuff for me that somebody has to save me or somebody has to rescue me for something. Until I got to that, I really had problems showing up for my team, showing up for my clients at the level that I really, really wanted to. And for me, having gone through that journey, it it makes a lot. And obviously I echo with you and I think with a very similar lens here, but I wonder from your, from your perspective, right? Like you work with these like very big companies what is what does that trust and self look like inside of a big company, like as opposed to you know small time entrepreneur out here with a team of twelve? Like, what is talk to me how you talk to companies about that like self trust piece? Mm. Well, I think it's it's harder in a company than it is in a nimble smaller company. Sure, and so there's more distrust there than there is in a smaller company because you have more chances for more social dynamics. And there's a lot that has to be put in place into the culture that's going to shape trust. And the culture, you know, culture, you've heard this saying before, I didn't say it, culture eats strategy for lunch. If the culture isn't right, the company's strategy is not going to be right. You have to build for culture. And, you know, we can point to all kinds of companies that that didn't do well because the culture didn't didn't do well and and that's the most important thing that you have to shape and so how do you shape the leadership and I'm never really a top down kind of guy I always say build from the bottom up but when it comes to culture it does come from the top down culture is what what your leadership is saying that we what what are we about and the most important thing I don't care if you're small medium or large is is the impact that we all want to make together. What is the ultimate impact? Not the outcome, the impact. And there's a difference between the two. An outcome is an actual thing that is completed. An impact is how people feel. How do we want people to feel out of our companies, what we produce as a company? So if you can create an impact statement, I believe for me that being human is is everyone's competitive advantage. And by doing so, people are going to connect and care more. I believe also that when people 
create impact statements for them, they can also align their team around what they want their impact to be and now move forward together. I doubt very much that there's an impact statement at Twitter right now. I, I highly doubt that there's an impact statement at Facebook right now. I believe there's an impact statement at other brands that we like and trust, like Apple and like Microsoft. And so when we look at these different organizations, we can quickly see why some are working so well and why others aren't. It's because they're in more alignment with the impact they want to make in the world. Yeah, totally agree. And I I don't know why my head keeps going to this idea that open AI, as much as we're here talking about AI, but open AI as a company clearly has an impact statement, right? Like they, they're clearly a company that's on a mission and we're not really sitting here vilifying them as a company as much as like doubting this AI thing, right? So this like separation of like, who's able to, who's able to kind of do this, the companies that have this mission, this impact thing that they're all on the same page of, right? This very clear knowing of what bus they're on, what the destination of the bus is, right? So you can know if you're on the right seat. Reminds me of a couple of my friends that I have here and that that are here, right? Like Bree is Bree is a part of a company called Refine Labs that created this employer kind of like handbook that popularized it throughout all of LinkedIn. Like they 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 put a lot of work into this employee manifesto and culture and a podcast called The Talent Destination. And my friend Kim, who's here also, is working with a company called Daily Human that's trying to solve for the trust problem where they are creating these like inner inner exchange of prompts between teammates that work remotely in order to get to know each other and create this like transparency and and trust in themselves, right? So like I love that I love that the most important thing here that we're talking about when it comes to outward trust is the interior culture and how you how you do that piece, right? Like that was another big aha moment for me. End of 2021. That's like you can't have outward community without an interior community. Mm, absolutely. And community is the key there. I love that you use that word community because that's what it that's the most important thing moving forward. Social media screwed up community. Every platform that that I've seen that came along and it's it created a, a whirlwind for all of us. I mean, you saw what it did. And 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 not anyone, not one company got it right when it came to community. Not one company. I believe that it's actually built on addiction and on on endorphins. And so when we look at at those things, they aren't long lasting. We tend to ride them for a while. And just like the ocean, the wave dies and we have to ride a new wave and we have to look for the next wave. And that's what keeps happening over and over again with different social media platforms. Now, some waves are bigger than others and they stick around longer, but no one has solved for the one thing, community. How do we actually build community within our company? That is a, a position in some companies that is the most important position that they hired at the company. Not, not to say that the CFO doesn't have a hard job, but it is the most important because when you build community, you build connection. When you build connection, you build all of these other things and people want to stick around because they feel like they're being heard. And now we have a chance of actually doing better. We can build our product in a different direction. We know they want to use, and we've said that for years. It's just that community is the way forward. 
and it's a, and the technology makes it possible now. So let's start building more for community and less for what is going to make us more money. Oof, that was a golden nugget right there. I'm going to have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show. If you haven't already hit five star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. I love it, man. I love it. I echo with you on this wholeheartedly. And I, I a hundred percent agree with you that technology has put the flash, put the spotlight on the wrong part of what community is, right? Like I, I kind of like equate it back to my old days in the green building industry, when you're building a truly sustainable building, you build a very efficient building that has really high indoor air quality, does not waste a lot of materials. It's going to withstand the test of time. And then you put solar panels on top and you don't need that many solar panels because you built a really good building, but everybody thinks the solar panel is what makes it green, right? So like, I feel like the technology piece has become like, hey, how many people do you have in your Facebook group? That's your community, but it's not. It's something that you described in a podcast I listened to in preparing for this. You said this really astutely, this idea that the way that you build community is how you create a space where people can promote themselves through it. And it doesn't become about you. It becomes about them. Can you kind of like elaborate on on, on that belief? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you almost said it better than I think I could restate it, but, but I think that, you know, what I was talking about there is that when we help others, when we, it's, it's kind of the give, 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 give concept, you know, when we give not to get, but we give to give. And, you know, it's very much like money. Money is one of these things where, and I struggled this with this, my, the first half of my life where I thought money was a thing that I needed to to receive or to give and mostly to receive so that I could be able to create more of it. But what I didn't realize is that money is energy and the energy behind it is what I how I'm putting myself out into the world. And the the there's a difference and there's a great book called Happy Money that that talks about this too and that's the the way that we receive that money or the way that we spend our money, am I putting money into my credit cards? That's unhappy money. Am I putting money into others and to grow their their education or to help others in some way that feels good to me? That's happy money. So when we take in happy money because we're earning it out of something that we truly love, that we have so much joy for, or we're spending it on things that we truly love that or that we know is going to go into something that's totally beneficial, whether we give it away or pay somebody, that's happy money. The same thing goes for what you're talking about, where you build a community of people where you build happy people and you put them before you put yourselves. So it's not, how do I just build my product and tell us what, how do we create more for our company and how do I do this and do this and do this? It's how can I help you? How can I serve you? Much like an influencer campaign, you know, how can I help you build your brand? And in doing so, we're going to build each other together. It's all tides lift all boats. 
So that's really the idea behind it. The impetus behind building a community is let's let's build it and grow it together. I love that, man. As you said all that, I think of diminishing re- returns and compounding returns, right? Like this idea of like, if you if you take money or you take trust or you take, you know, whatever you're going to take and you, you bury it underneath your bed, it's a diminishing return, right? Like, whereas if you invest it in people, it becomes this compounding asset, right? Like if you're trusting people, they're going to trust you back. And, you know, like it kind of goes that way, the same as investing. Let's talk about intimacy and vulnerability, right? This like intimacy you see, I find that to be a really fascinating insight. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, what is what does that look like in companies or, or how is that executed on like that you've seen out there? You know, not very well. That's what I would say to that. Not very well. I think people hold their cards close and now more than ever, maybe the, we'll see a, a difference now that, you know, people are working a little bit more remote. And so we're starting to be a little more transparent. Like the guy that was on video during the, the, at the very beginning of the of the pandemic with his kid behind him on CNN. And I think he was, or be, I forget what network it was. And he rolled right into the background while the newscast was going. I thought that was like, that was as real as you can get. You cannot get more real than life happening behind you in the middle of a broadcast on the, on a major network and, and stuff happens, man, stuff happens on zoom. Now, what have we all seen? I mean, we've all seen everything, right? Like that just, and it warms our hearts. Like we're like, I mean, to an extent, you know, it's like, that's that's real life. That's what actually happens. And so when we see more of that, more of the real life stuff that's going on, it really creates that. And I never really knew that. I, I never really honored it up until I think when I was seeing a movie, when I was dating my wife now, well, girlfriend, now wife, as of 24 years ago, this dates me, but Meet the Parents came out with with Gaylord Fokker, the, the character who was Ben Stiller. And, and, and we sat there and we watched the movie. This was one of our first dates, or not first dates. It was in, it was a year in and we were, and we came out and of the movie and I, I hadn't thought the movie was that funny, ironically. And she did, she was, busting a gut. And she came out and she goes, how could you not find that funny? I said, cause that's my life. Everything in that movie has happened. Most everything has happened to me. And she's like, you know what? You need to embrace your inner Gaylord Fokker more. And I'm like, you're so right. So the rest of my life, I'm like, and she, she said it like, if you want to get married to me, you better embrace it. So I was like, I definitely need to embrace this more. So I think that that's the key to connecting more with others is embracing your inner Gaylord Fokker and, and letting it out. It's just a game Fokker, right? It's a, it's a game. Just, yeah, man, that story. So I think of two things with that story. Number one is when the office first came out, I was like 25 years old managing like 120 person division of a fortune 500 company. And I'm like, this Steve Carell character is me right now. And it makes me very uncomfortable. Right. But the older I get, the more I realize that self-deprecation, right? Like this idea of just like embracing your flaws and leaning into it is one of the all-time relationship builders. I think it's Brene Brown that talks about how vulnerability is at the base of building trust and building human connection, which which really resonates, right? That feels like something that when we, at least personally, I've been able to embrace that so much more as I age. And when I'm younger, 
stakes felt way higher and whatnot. Do you think that has something to do with like the maturity of the internet and public information and all that stuff kind of landing on us, right? Like companies haven't been in this. If, if we were to relate it to like me in my 20s, you know, companies have only had social media for like 20 years, right? Do you think that that's something that we'll kind of like culturally age into? Yes. Yeah, I think that it's going to it's gonna happen more and more. And I think that it's going to take leadership to show what it looks like. It's going to happen organically. And, and they have to realize that what they're saying and doing is going to have a, have an impact. Now, ironically, Southwest is a great example because the first CEO, the guy that started Southwest would go down at the end of the day and he'd, he'd take a six pack of beer and sit there with the guys working on the planes and he, he would just swap stories in real life and they would be vulnerable with each other about what's just going on in their lives. And that's how he actually built the company and in understanding what was actually going on behind the scenes and who these people were that were helping to build the company and what kinds of things were they facing and how how can we create more of it? So is it being publicly transparent? No, it doesn't have to be. It can also be internally transparent and in how we grow in a human to human way. So that's that's a large part of it is showing up as your, you know, it's it's cliche, but showing up as your true self and and also seeing others for their their selves and sharing that deep deepening the relationships. Yeah, yeah, that makes all sense. That reminds me of my buddy and my business coach Jerry McNamara, who's like, you have to you have to manage the whole person, right? Like you don't, you, nobody comes to work as a part of themselves. They're bringing it all to themselves, and you know, knowing the whole person allows you to be able to do that. Let's then let's tap into then transparency and credibility and consistency. I would, I almost feel like some of the things that we've discussed earlier, right? Like this idea of, do they ever compete with each other, right? Like if I'm going to be fully transparent and one day I feel like, hey, this is the direction of my company. And the next day I think, you know what? It might not be the direction of my company. Maybe it's that, you know, kind of like this whole like Elon thing that's going on. One could argue that that is, ultra transparent because he's tweeting whatever he's thinking, right? Similar to some some other elected officials. But like that definitely deters in credibility if you can't be consistent and you can't become reliable. Have you thought about what the fine line is there? Like how does somebody integrate those three values? Yeah, I, you know, actually I posted about this earlier today, ironically on Instagram. And I called those, we all call those boundaries. We have to have boundaries to live life. And we have to know what those boundaries are. And once you know them, paint within them, paint across the board within them, but know what your boundaries are. And if, and as far as I can tell, it feels like there is no boundary on, on his tweets. It's like, you know, everything goes. So that's where I start to lose trust because I want to work with somebody who has boundaries. I want to trust them because they have boundaries and I have boundaries and we can't cross those because that's part of who we are. That's the social contract that you opened up with. And we have to have that social contract with each other. So having a, a clear boundary or at least at least appearing to, to have that boundary so that others know to grow with you and learn more about them is going to help everyone over time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said. Um, back, back to the Brene Brown thing this idea of boundaries, she explains it really well as this, the point, the equidist, oh man, she talks about the boundary as like the perfect 
point where you can love yourself equally as much as you can love the other person, right? So it's like finding that that boundary of, hey, you got to be true to yourself, but you also need to know the line when you are starting to be an asshole to others. If you're prioritizing yourself or whatnot, I think that's really well said. I would say a boundary is the perfect way to, to manage that transparency, consistency, reliability. I want to talk about what we talked about in the headline, right? AI, right? Trust trust is an endemic problem with society right now. And yet we're moving into this world where AI is dominating the conversation. It's coming at a, mi- a million miles a minute. I get the feeling that you don't think it's about avoiding AI. There's got to be a better way to like incorporate this stuff, right? When you say incorporate, you're talking about how we adopt it? Yeah, yeah. How do we how do we live in a world with AI and still need to build trust from your perspective? Okay, so I think that it's always going to challenge us on the it, you know, a lot of a lot of times I think when people who don't understand it, we, you know, we go to the dark side. And the dark side is that terminator or people are taken over. And so I think that when we go to the dark side, there's some realism there. You know, we want to be careful, we want to paint what the lines are and and again, know the boundaries, those kinds of boundaries. So here's the thing. It, it is not never going to be humans versus technology. It's always going to be humans and technology working together to create deeper relationships. And in the way of AI, it's to create deeper relationships faster. Now, AI can bring us closer together faster. But as soon as we start using AI to to replace relationships, that's where we've gone off the tracks. Um, That's where we need to reel it back in. And I think that those are the conversations that we're having right now about what does this all mean? And it's just a big, big black hole right now. But I think eventually to come back around, just like I think bell bottoms are back, everything else is reciprocal. All things in life are reciprocal and relationships will always bounce back and come into light as being the full spotlight of what this all means and why we're doing this. So right now it's a gold rush. How many companies can they come out with a new AI tool every day? I'm spotting at least five to 10. I've played with over a hundred of them. And, and that's just in the last four weeks. So that's a lot of companies. And in, in, in the next year, we're planned to build, I think it's, I think I read $2.6 billion in just spending in AI. So we're nowhere near what's about to come. And at the end of the day, we're all questioning, what does this mean? Well, it means what we define and we have to define it to be in the light side versus the dark side. And if we're staying in a narrow niche of what our impact is for the company, remember I talked about impact. So mm-hmm. what is the impact we from, want from our company? And what is the narrow niche that we're willing to solve for? So with my AI tool, I want to solve for, let's say scheduling, because I know scheduling is a problem. Well, solve for that and stay within that, stay within those guidelines or those boundaries. Whatever you're solving for, stay within that and stay on the light side as long as you solve for that one thing. But it's, but I've seen AI companies not really defined in terms of what they do. They're just plugging in GPT and saying, let's create something and let everyone just ask the questions that they want to ask. What are you solving for? You know, And that's the biggest thing. So, so I think that's the difference is just really defining what you want the impact to be and then solving for that. I love it, man. I feel like there's all these like enduring tried and true values and everything that you're talking about that permeates all of it, right? It's like understanding 
understanding what the outcome you want to create is, right? Like what the mission is, what we're all working towards, understanding what the rules of the game are, aka core values, what we can all agree on, what the boundary is, and then prioritizing the human relationship. And is it is it forming a human relationship or not, right? Like instead of just automating things for the sake of automating things, I think of And I think like these like five things that you've said, transparency, credibility, consistency, reliability, intimacy, vulnerability, and and like self-trust can all kind of be applied to this application of AI. Like you don't, if you are letting the AI come up with your corporate strategy, you know, that's not a, that's not part, that's not in line with this thing, right? That's not going to lead to consistency and credibility. Whereas if you're allowing for the AI to say, you know, I've got this like vision for a tool where we already take all of our Zoom calls and put them in the script and it goes text to, you know, it transcribes everything and we're able to edit things because of that. I would love an AI tool that takes that, updates that transcription sorted by topic or whatever in my CRM in accordance to the person. And then on top of that, searches the last three months of conversations I've had and is able to analyze, oh, you just had this like awesome conversation with Brian about trust. You talked to Kim about it two weeks ago. Do you want to send Kim this like video snippet of what Brian is working on with trust? Maybe you can introduce them or vice versa, right? Or like Kim doesn't like video messages. She likes audio messages. Send her the audio, right? Like that that idea of using AI to organize yourself better and be more efficient at building relationships to me sounds really, really attractive versus, you know, how much noise can you make in the ecosystem? Yeah. Yeah. And we all love noise, don't we? No. <laughs> what tools have you, if you've been down this rabbit hole, right? Like you've, if you've experimented with all these, like, what do you, what do you find yourself using it the most for? You said scheduling, anything else, any, any kind of like tools to recommend that you're, that you're. Yeah. Well, I'm interviewing for my next book and I'm doing a ton of interviews right now. So, which I know it'll surprise everybody that it's on. I think I said this before it's on trust and what I use it for. I've been using Otter to yeah. record the transcript of the interviews. And then I throw the transcript into, I'm using a Jasper, but you could use anything and a chat GPT or whatever. And I throw it in there and I ask it questions. And I say, what are the themes? What are the highlights? What are the, write me an outline. And it's way faster than anything I could do. So, you know, it's it just makes my life that much easier. When I first wrote my first two books, I was the guy going in there doing that kind of stuff and taking it all and parsing it out and creating, you know, what it was going to be. Now I still have to write the book, but it just creates a much easier flow for me to pull things and put it together. So it'll probably cut my time quite a, quite a bit. Totally, man. That's exactly where I'm living too, man. I'm taking transcripts of our shows, putting them in there and saying, Hey, pick out, you know, like pick out the best stuff out of this thing. What are the best clips that we can go look for here? I'm also using it for, you know, promoting shows. I have this like one prompt that's like, hey, I'm going to have, I'm going to have Brian Kramer on, who's a world renowned trust expert to talk about how to navigate trust in a world with AI. I want, I want to invite people to a webinar about it, but instead of a webinar, call it a show, write it from a contrarian perspective, um, start it with an engaging opener then build credibility on what he's done based on the books that he's written and then give me five bullet points of what people are going to learn and then have a compelling call to action of why to show up live. And it'll do that. And then I'll just edit it for a while. That used to take me like 25 minutes to think of all that. Now it just gives it to me like six minutes later, I edit it a bit 
and it works. I love the the inputting of content you've created to then create the next draft of it is 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 where I find a ton of value on it, man. Really cool. So you're using it for writing, which is awesome. Brian, what what have I not asked you about, man? Is there anything that you'd like to promote right now? How do people find you? All that good stuff. No, I'll just say that the best way to find me is at briankramer.com, Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And in my in true human to human style, if you sign up for my newsletter, I reply back. If you hit hit the reply button and something strikes you, hit reply and let me know. And I and I'll I'll hit reply. And before you know, we're having a a real conversation. So that's that's where you can find me and all my socials there, all of my my books and everything else. Go figure, man. Go figure that you replied to all your stuff yourself as the H2H guy. Brian, man, I just really appreciate you doing this. You can hang around for for the open mic session, but before you go, you know, I just I find so much I find so much value in finding and seeing your story, right? And and seeing how ahead of all of this stuff, those of us that have been prioritizing relationships and intuitively knowing that there's value in it and trying to figure out how to make a name for ourselves with it, I find that your story is very inspiring, right? Like I feel like the stuff that you're on right now, everybody's kind of on it now for for, for better or worse. So it might dilute it a bit, but there's many of us that have been on this kick for eight, nine years or or longer. And seeing your your kind of like storyline of successful entrepreneur having this aha moment getting a getting a moment that works and being able to like really just champion a message and evangelize this stuff it's it's really inspiring to me and i really appreciate the opportunity to get to like talk to you personally and and have you on the show man thank you very much thank you there you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I would love to hear your feedback on it. Was that, uh, did you take home like practical stuff from that? Was it uh, mostly conceptual for you? Any learnings? Hit me up on LinkedIn. If you care about category design, and I suggest that you do, go to categorythinkers.com, join the wait list. That's where the live show is going to start taking place, of that I'm hosting at least. And, you know, stay tuned on this channel. We're going we're gonna to have some some different stuff that we're putting out here. We're going to take a little bit of a hiatus for the summer as I launch this community, as I transition the business. But thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't, you know, take for granted at all that you've been listening to this podcast. And I would love to hear from you on LinkedIn or shoot me an email or whatever, right? Like it's easy to get a hold of me if you look in the show notes. If you don't know how to do that, I can't help you. <laughs> but I'd love to hear from you. I really want to be your friend. Seriously. If you've listened to this podcast today or ever before, I would really just love to love to hear from you. So that's it. Have a good one. Bye. And of course, got to thank my team, as always. Number one, I always thank Roanne because she just keeps me doing all the things I need to be doing as the account manager on this project. Gina, who's built this amazing world-class culture and brought us an amazing team and recruited amazing talent, like her right-hand Marge, who makes everything happen. Um, JP, our employee number one, who does all the all the cool stuff, right? He's making all the videos, he's making all the all the audio stuff, everything that you see and touch is touched by the creative uh, director of our company, JP Employee Number One, who is training another awesome creative, Philippe, to um, you know follow in his footsteps and do great things for us, like the client activations that we do for our clients, and repurposing that type of content. All helped by Rita, our content strategist, who basically takes the things that we promise and make sure that 
you get the results that we say um, based on the content that we are creating, right? Like making sure it's all congruent, the story is right, that you're getting the results that you need. Our two awesome account managers, uh, Joanna and Joyce, and our amazing superstar writer, Nicola, who has been my buddy now for going on like four or five years. He's turning into a man. When I first started mentoring when he was 13, he interviewed me on a podcast, and now he's becoming a world-class writer. So I want to thank the whole team, and I want to encourage you to always, always consider the impact of relationships being more valuable than transactions. See you next week.